Welcome back everyone to another episode of The Bit Effect. Today's topic is a bit of a nebulous one. Uh, genres aren't necessarily a popular topic when the subject of gaming comes up, but we feel it warrants some words spilled on the subject. So with me today to talk about hybrids and paragons of the genres are Luke. Hello. Mike. Hello. Craig. Hello. So gentlemen, genres are a thing, would you say? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of talking Angel. points yeah. now, so um, we'll see you next time. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> on on the subject of genres, I mean, I mean, it is, this could be a very wide scope, but what we're going to be doing here today is is just kind of pointing out genres that we like or games that let's say they they've hybridized quite well, or they're just so good in that genre they set a boilerplate for us personally. So. Gentlemen, a couple of questions right off the bat to get us rolling, because, you know, why not? And this does feature into some of our, our games here, is why isn't the FPS dead by now? The JRPG is dead. The beat-em-up is dead. Even the fighting genre, is it's kind of going downhill. You only get like two or three a year. So any ideas why the FPS has not died yet? Well, that's a good question, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> My best guess is it's because it's the closest to real life being inside your own head. And then when you've been at work all week and it's been a difficult week, you just want to go home and shoot some things. And the FPS is the place to do that. Um, if you're 13 years old and you want to tell, you know, someone online that they you've done their mum, you know, that you go to Call of Duty and, and that's where you vent all that frustration. So I think the FPS has a place in modern society for that reason. Well done, Craig. That's getting cut out straight away. <laughs> done your mum. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. I've always found uh, Chessmaster to be the ultimate stress reliever for telling people I've done their mum. <laughs> it is odd, though, that you mention it because it's, it's, a, it's a genre that doesn't really seem to be evolving to any sort of speed either whereas you know all the other genres you mentioned before they have gone through at least you know even pseudo evolution with you know addition like in street fighter of ex moves uh, super moves uh, turbo changes the fps i think the most drastic thing i saw was probably between the like wolfenstein 3d and uh, goldeneye i haven't really seen a huge change since then but yeah I don't know it's still alive. So I'm, I mean, the only thing I can think of is, other than, you know, what Craig said, that, that's actually a really good point, but it, it's the hybrid. The hybrid is saving the FPS, because now we have FPS RPGs, we have FPS tactical shooters, we have FPS team-based things. I, I think the hybrid is really what's saving it, whereas other, you'll never see, well, no, you will see, but you don't see very many, like, fighting games slash RPGs, or, uh, I don't know, I'm. I can't think of another one. So I'm starting to wonder if it's maybe because shooter is such an easy genre to pick up. You mean like generally shooters have the same controls. You don't need to learn controls such as like an RPG. The stories are genuinely just fun. I wonder if it's just that pick up and play and compatibility. You know how easy it is to jump into that that keeps people coming back to them. That's, that's a good point, too. 
on a second point, I think I might have already dismissed my original argument because, uh, let's face it, things like from Bioshock to Dishonored to Titanfall to uh, Call of Duty, they're all, not not all of them are actually defined as FPSs in most cases. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some are adventure games, some are full-on action, some yeah. are puzzles like, uh, you know, Portal. So, I, you know, maybe maybe I'm not, not giving it the credit it deserves. It, it is a, it is a, a base genre which penetrates other genres quite easily. It is, it's it's a, a mix between a genre and a pure just point of view. Yeah, because I mean, you even have things like Skyrim where it that is full fledged RPG. Yeah, is it is it an RPG or is it an FPS RPG? It's a WFPS RPG because it comes from the West. You got you got to always denote okay. that. Okay, right. Okay. <laughs> now, now we've each bought two games and. Quite a few of us actually have um, shooting games as our defines a certain genre for us, or they do very well in that genre. So uh, I believe, Mike, you have Doom down. I mean, what is it about Doom as a shooter? Um, it's it's everything. I mean, it's it originally came out back in 1993. I think I came across it. Um, I was playing around with all sorts of stuff. I had you know Commander Keen, uh, Jazz Jackrabbit, all all sorts of rubbish. Games floating around the place. Actually, you know, some were good, pretty good, but uh, the ones that stuck with me were like uh, Spear of Destiny and uh, Wolfenstein 3D. And I, I played a lot of these. I got through the shareware. I, I got a pirated version from then, from uh, whoever it was working with my dad at the time. And then finally, I came across uh, Doom itself. So Doom seemed like a you know good evolution over the working ground that they'd set with uh, Wolfenstein 3D. But it just it just did everything, you know. It, it had uh, built-in LAN multiplayer straight off the bat. It had uh, multiple episodes, all different types of enemies. It had, you know, uh, projectile guns, uh, hit scan guns, as as our, our friend Grim's always happy to point out constantly. Um, and it, and it had everything. It had you know uh, height of you, know, you could shoot forward at an enemy and it could be on a, a level above you and it would automatically detect that it was hitting there. There's just everything going. There's, there's so many things in that game that it sort of got right right at the beginning when it, you know, the genre had only been around for a, a short while. So as a result, it, I mean, it might not be my favourite, but it, it's definitely the defining one for me. I think it's it's quite a defining one as well because if you like Doom like is or was a genre and if you Google Doom like your top hit is FPS. It's it's a quite a critical game in the in the evolution of the FPS if if you're searching for Doom like as a genre. Around the time it came you had a what Heretic, uh, Gloom, I think it was on the the Amiga, had like Marathon from Bungie. Loads of people started off from this point. Um, you know, there's the, I think it was Blood, possibly. Yeah, Blood was um, out. Yeah. I can't remember who that was. That was possibly from a, might be Raven, but don't hold me to that. There's there's loads. There's absolutely loads stem from that point in time. Okay, I was gonna say, do we do we all have experience with Doom? Because I've never played Doom. I'm out. See you later, guys. <laughs> uh, I, I look. I had when when I was a youngster, I had a choice between Duke Nukem or Doom. And which one do you go for? Duke Nukem. It's got the strap on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, you can pretty much put everything from Doom into Duke Nukem. I don't think Duke Nukem is quite the uh, the evolution. 
that Doom was, but yeah, I, I know exactly where you guys are coming from. The thing I find interesting about Doom is, I mean, I, I didn't play it when it came out. It was many years after it came out that I, I got to play it. But um, it seemed to be a game that even years after it came out, people still went back to it and played it regularly. You know, it was such a good shooter and defined a genre so well that years later, people still played it again. And even to this day, I think a lot of people that grew up with it still refer to it as, you know, one of the best shooters they've they've played at the time compared to all the, you know, competition. It, it, it has, it's aged very well as well. I mean, it's not, I mean, FPSs have moved scale and bound further, but I think anyone can go to Doom and still think, oh God, I can see where this came from. And yeah, it's it's such a great thing that a game like that can stand the test of time. I I actually, I remember playing Doom when I was a lot younger and thinking all these thoughts, it was amazing. I then went back and instead of revisiting Doom, I went for Doom 3, was it? And I remember just being <laughs> terrified. <laughs> what has yeah. happened to this game? It's just the most horrific yeah. thing ever and not, not going back to it for, for years. Now, a question on that. So you have Doom. Not very many games anymore copy that very frenetic, very fast pace of shooter. Mm. I mean, Doom does the, the 2016 version. But other than that, is there a reason you guys think that style, that Unreal, that Doom style just kind of died? I... Oh, it's... It, I think if you replicate it, it's very obvious you're replicating Doom. It's so base and simple and explosive that everything else that would try to replicate that feel would end up just feeling like a copycat, maybe. Um, I remember a couple of years ago playing Bulletstorm, and I felt that oh, I had yeah. a very kind of like action, fast-paced thing. And I remember clicking back and thinking about Doom while I was playing that. That had extra things. It had like you know trick shots and things like that. But at the core of it, it's just fast-paced shooting things in the face. And I think Doom is the 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 originator of that. One thing I'm really see happy to die that Doom started was the red key card, yellow key card, oh. blue key card. Ah, ah, I've had enough of that. Yeah, there, there is something pretty magical about Doom. Though. I mean, it's, you know, with with it being so early in technology, like something similar like Mario 64, it, it seems to, to hit every beat right. Like, you can zoom down the corridor, you'll see these walls scrolling straight past you quickly. You know, you, you're jumping around, you're getting red in the face from, from running through acid when you shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> And then you've got in it, you know, there's there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. It's got lights flashing. I mean, it's as simple as it can be. It can be a dark shadow which flickers light for a millisecond, and that's pretty much it. But um, but yeah, I I mean, why would you try and imitate a game unless it's you know going to be up to that standard, which they set quite a high high bar quite early. The on, the only thing I've heard people have problem with is the the music and. Even now, I, I don't really mind it. Oh, well. no, the music's fantastic. And I really wish the whole world of mobile gaming thought that, well, if you can't do it better, why imitate it? That'd be wonderful. <laughs> so, Mike, just out of curiosity, when was the last time you went back and played Doom? Um, I think it was about a year ago. Oh, that's not too bad. Uh, I think I was trying out some new map, which I'd heard about, because... Uh, the other odd thing is it, it's also, you know, there's a lot of modding around it. You might play, like, Nazi Doom, Baby Doom, The Simpsons Doom. 
There's all. <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> the uh, Simpsons they're called, Doom. They're called Wads. There was, yeah, yeah. There's Simpsons <laughs> Doom. You'd get it off, you'd go to a university where they had the internet, you'd put it on your floppy disk, take it back home, put it in, copy the file over, now you go load up your, your WAD and you're, you're ready to go. And uh, yeah, it, it was odd. It was very early, early days of modding and things like that, but, but I think that's all, also a kind of first in the uh, in the games world as well. I mean, obviously today mods are, mods are a huge, huge deal. Yeah. But uh, back then, yeah, yeah very uh, hard work. Hard work if you don't know your way around all the directories, of course. If you don't know where to put your, your hit, Hitler BMP, you're a bit, <laughs> a bit screwed. Is, is it not just like a slash images and slash sounds? Is it a bit more complicated than that? A little bit. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people went on from, you know, especially people when it came to Quake, a lot of people who, who programmed levels and things in Quake went on to become big... Big, big studio heads themselves and things. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. There's, there's loads. Just look it up and you'll I mean, see. They had loads of history. Had a Rocket League. Seen. Those guys. Most of those guys came from, um, from that sort of scene. So, in a completely different area of shooters, that that very morb, morbid. No, not morbid. Uh, amoeba-like thing that is a shooter. We Luke wants to talk about Left for Dead, and, we, and that's a very different thing from Doom. Yeah, I mean, I chose Left 4 Dead because I think it kind of captured so many things right at the time. Um, so, I mean, you could say it's a first, maybe third-person shooter. It's, it's a local cooperative, multiplayer. There's there's hard mode, there's, there's survival, there's horror in that game. And whilst rather than Doom, it's more of a team-based thing, the the amount of depth in that game is just just crazy. There was, I mean, it captured the the Counter Strike sort of engine and took it forward and gave it an objective of rather than just team versus team shooting each other in the face sort of thing. I mean, it pretty much pioneered the horde, right? You didn't really have just horde shooters until Left 4 Dead came along. You had horde modes, but there was never a game based solely around that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, you had the uh, was it the director AI yeah. as well, which, oh, which yeah, would, like do crazy things like oh, all these players here is this one struggling? Let's throw a wave in from this angle and things like that, and then you know uh, they get get the specials in. So it's it's quite a quite a pioneering thing. Is was it Turtle Rock by any chance who originally developed it, or was it purely Valve? I can't remember. Uh, it was Valve South, I believe, who uh, developed mm. it. Yeah, I mean, Left 4 Dead, it was, I mean, I've, I've got memories of it, you know, uh, picking up just after hearing about it. The buzz about that game was, was immense, which is normally a good sign that the, this game's doing something different. But it kind of just took everything that was going on around, you know, zombies were huge back then. Everybody was making a zombie game yeah. and getting that kind of hard mode, you know, working as a team thing going, especially at the start of... I guess it came out on the Xbox 360 as well, which was, you know, that was kind of the start of big multiplayer games at home that were easy to set up without having a PC. And it was all about, for me, team-based, you know, I guess, you know, Craig, Kev, we played it yep. together. And it, it normally, con <laughs> yeah, it normally consisted around uh, Craig 
and me working as a team while Kev ran off and we just eventually left it. You were literally <laughs> left for dead with Kev. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Many, many good memories with that game. Like, many good memories. It's some of the best online gaming I've ever played was just blasting through levels mm. with you guys. I think, as well, without Left 4 Dead, you wouldn't have something like Vermintide or something like that, which was basically Left 4 Dead with different skins and stuff. Dave, help me out with that, because I haven't actually played it. I just know that those are the words that you used to describe Vermintide to me. Yeah, it's, it's basically Left 4 Dead in the Warhammer universe. Instead of zombies, yeah. you've got giant rats. And then you have, instead mm. of, like... um. Uh, what were they called? Leapers. Instead of the leapers, you would have, you know, rats that can poof out and stealth and jump on you the same way. You know, it's it's basically a reskin of Left 4 Dead, mm-hmm. which was good for me because when I played Left 4 Dead, I never played with a single person. Ever. Oh, Dave. Oh, jeez. Mm. So, Dave, did you find it more like a survival horror then? Because oh, yeah. I mean, when, I, when I played it by myself, you know, coming across a witch was just, you know, you heard the music... Maybe you could see the shadow of it in the, you know, on the map. But when I played it myself, I found that almost horrifying. And then when you play it multiplayer, it's like, Haha, I'm going to shoot that witch and it's going to turn on my mate and he's going to die and then I'm going to run away. Hilarity. Right. Yeah, there was lots of that when you first picked it up and, you know, like, Luke knows what's going to happen. You're like, oh, let's fight this witch. And all of a sudden he's buggered off and you're like, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, very funny guys very funny oh yeah playing single player was it was basically a long form game of which NPC do I want to sacrifice now so I can get to safety it was good times <laughs> yeah I didn't play multiplayer until Left 4 Dead 2 my, um, my short experience with it was, was a case of jumping onto a random game seeing some people start off from a roof run across what looked like clotheslines keep running, jump off the clothesline onto some other little pillar in the middle of the air somewhere and just run at absolute sprint speed without shooting any single thing <laughs> until we got to the end of the level and I ran behind with sort of like with zombies dragging hold, like grabbing hold of me and all sorts. I didn't know what was happening. I thought, if I stay and shoot things, I'm dead. And that was it. Mm. But, uh, it was, it was a, a baptism by fire, definitely. I guess you could, I'm struggling to think what the word of this genre would be, but a lot of that game was about finding resource and, you know, kind of, it wasn't a game where you could just run all the way through it without picking up ammo. And if you, if you wanted to, and you put in a little bit of work to work as a team and find like Molotovs or, you know, a different weapon, it became a lot easier but it was up to you if you wanted to take that approach or just go gun-ho and end up with no ammo and smacking things in the face with baseball bats rather than using machine guns. That sounds familiar. Mm. All, all I remember is pills here. Popping pills. <laughs> yeah. It's all... <laughs> that, that's what sticks out the most. And um, myself, one, one last... Uh, one game I'd like to bring up as part of this shooter fest... Because shooters are obviously like tofu. Put them into anything. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, myself, <laughs> I don't like very tofu. different from. Well, of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. I just don't see. But uh, myself, it, a game that's on the very opposite spectrum of something mature and kind of scary, like Left 4 Dead, would be Battalion Wars. 
Battalion Wars, in case nobody knows, it was, it was a GameCube game released in September by Kuju Entertainment, which went on to become Double Helix. But um, this is a very fun mashup of third-person shooter and strategy. It, it's not kind of a tactical thing like another game I'm going to talk about later, like uh, Rainbow Six, where you actually cover squad mates. This is an actual... You're a, you're a soldier who can change classes into a, a fl flamethrower guy or a bazooka guy or whatever the situation warrants while you're also commanding an army in a semi-kind-of-Warcraft-y way where you tell your troops, all right, you guys go over here, you guys go over here, and you're just part of an army while you're commanding it. And I think I'm the only one here who's played it. Maybe, maybe Mike? Maybe? I Very briefly, very briefly, I think I got one or two levels into it. Um, it was a bit of a struggle for me, but uh, no, I, I remember it. I remember its style quite a lot. I remember being quite hyped for it, thinking it was a, a some sort of successor to the Advance Wars series. It was supposed to be, yeah. Mm, I think it... There was a version on the Wii, right? Yes, uh, Battalion Wars. The sequel was on the Wii, and I wasn't a big fan of that because you know the, the pointing and the waggling and the what have you. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I picked up that, that game, and for the same reason I wasn't a big fan of it, but can you remind me how you generated troops? Were they, did they come with you, or were, did they start the game with you, or did you have to create them whilst you were on the field? You would, you would always start with a batch of troops, and um, you could switch out what your troops were uh, at certain points. Like, you'll see a, a group of bazooka troops, you can just run up and say, I'm taking command of you guys. And then you then become a bazooka trooper. You can switch over to flamethrower guys and all that. And like Mike said, it was supposed to be part of the Advanced Wars franchise, but they decided to pass on the the franchise here in the West. But over in Japan, it is known as an Advanced Wars game. I don't want to try to pronounce it because I'll just defend a whole bunch of people. If you really don't know what this is, uh, think something along the lines of uh, Kingdom Under Fire, if you ever played that for the Xbox. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. even... Even hundred uh, Bladestorm, the Hundred Years War. They're it's not a very popular genre. But it's a genre I would love to see more often. That shooter slash RTS. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would have liked to play it without the Wii controls, but it it's reminded me of a game um, on the PlayStation One, which was a bit more like a you know a tower defense game, but at the same time you were on the the go. Um, called Future Cop LAPD on the PlayStation One which oh, was yeah. created by the guys that made Red Alert. And, yeah, it, it reminded of me, you know, that that's why I picked up the Battalion Wars game, because I, I watched the video thinking, oh, this could be pretty similar, you know, you're on the field and you, you generate troops at the same time at specific points to kind of swing a battle. But, uh, unfortunately, it didn't turn out as good. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, are there genre, certain genres that you guys think are very platform-specific? Like, do you think RTSs can only really be done well on the PC, or is there something to where what, if you have a certain platform in your hand, you're going to play a certain genre on it? Well, like, motion-tracked bowling games can only be played on the Kinect. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I mean, that's top shelf. Is that too obvious? No, like, if you're one of those people that, you know, you don't think a shooter works well with a joystick, or you don't think, um... You can play touchscreen games on a home console with, like, the Wii U. You prefer something like a Vita or something smaller in your hands. Or, you know, maybe adventure games don't work well with a controller. Things like that. 
I can kind of turn this question around and say that I think there's certain games that play better on certain devices, such as, I think, like the old school JRPGs, like the old Final Fantasy games, you know, SNES, SNES, NAS sort of era. Um, SNES, SNES. SNES, eh? <laughs> uh, like roguelike games, like Hotline Miami, I think they all play better on, you know, 3DS Vita because... I don't know, there's, it's just for me, something about sitting in a location that I can move around and pause one of these games as I need be without being in front of the TV. It, it just it just works better for me on that sort of platform, if that makes sense. Although, to, to counter that, I actually preferred Hotline Miami on the, uh, on the PC because I thought I had more flexibility of choosing where to be aiming next and being able to whip the... Yeah, the curse around. Oh, see, I preferred it on console. <laughs> I think Hotline Miami, it was the, the controls, they took a while to get used to on the console, but once it clicked, it just felt right. And I've played on both. I played on the console first, so maybe that's why I prefer it. But yeah, I think I'm with Dave. The, the console's where I'd rather play Hotline Miami. No, I mean, nowadays the, the lines are getting blurred because you can hook up pretty much any joystick or controller to a PC and be perfectly fine with it. Yeah, yeah, but um, the things like racing games and sports games without those specific controllers, I I can't play it on a PC. There's something about the keyboard that does not translate to driving games for me. It's mostly probably the um, binary input of <laughs> I'm turning left, I'm turning left, or I'm going straight ahead. There's no yeah. middle ground. <laughs> it's like you're straight or you're 45 degree angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing Guitar Hero on a keyboard was a bit irritating. listeners at home you can play a little game with us to where you can try to guess which adventure game Craig is going to talk about this time so Craig what are you going to talk about Uh, well I'm going to talk it's like the stars aligned with this Um, (laughs) I was actually thinking about this earlier I thought this is the perfect topic of a podcast that I can finally get in point-and-click adventure, but then I remembered it was kind of me that suggested this last week, so it wasn't stars aligning, it was just manipulation. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I have chosen Day of the Tentacle. Um, Day of the Tentacle was released in 1993. Fant- absolutely fantastic game from LucasArts, one of my favourite and most missed game companies. Um, it was released again as a remaster, last year, two years ago, last year, um, and then released on PlayStation Plus at the beginning of the year. So guess what we will be playing the next time it's a retro rewind, it's my shout. Because you've all got it now. <laughs> I've got a sore throat, guys. <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Tim Schafer is paying Craig under the table. I'm pretty hmm. sure. He's sitting here beside me making sure I don't say anything about him. So, yeah, this game, Day of the Tentacle, completely and utterly defined not only point-and-click adventures for me, but actually, sadly, probably why I'm, I'm so keen on them, it defined gaming for me. It was one of the first gaming experiences that I can remember having that was just so solid. And I think whenever I think of happy times or gaming or that, it's Day of the Tentacle. And there was, you know, Monkey Island before it, and I had played that, and I've, I've got a deep fondness for Monkey Island, but Day of the Tentacle just nailed it completely. 
So the basic premise of the story is um, you've got three characters, uh, something goes wrong with a, a, a chronogen or three, and they're split across time. So you've got one controllable player in the past, 200 years in the past, you've got one 200 years in the future, and you've got one in the present day. And you've basically got to start up an evil purple tentacle that sprouted arms from taking over the world. Um, I think, you know, as far as game premises go, that's quite a solid one that's quite self-explanatory. Um, what can I say? The puzzle element, I mean, LucasArts always had the knack for good puzzle design, but incorporating time, they got to play a lot more with, um, you know, the effects of time on certain objects. Like, and the whole the whole point of it is, um, your guy in the past and the the lassie in the future needs to power their chronogens to get back into the present time. The chronogens like a portable toilet that travels through time. By the way, um, <laughs> so they need to get power. So two hundred years in the past, you're kind of you know, you're limited as to what you can do in terms of a plug. So one of the things you need to make is a battery. To get a battery, you need to, through a series of happy events, get a bottle of wine buried in a time capsule to then dig it up in the future where it becomes vinegar. And it's like, yeah, I like that. Another one is um, there's a hamster that you need to get into the future. So you stuff him in a box of ice and he can be defrosted in the future, but he's cold and he's wet. So in order to, you know, in order to do that, you need to get a jumper into the past, which you can then put in a tumble dryer in the present to then have it shrink over 200 years of tumble drying. <laughs> who, who could have come up with such a genius puzzle? It's, it's honestly fantastic. So that's, that's one part of it is the puzzle design. You've also got the, the writing, the comedy, and the voice acting. They're all on point. Um, your main protagonist is Bernard. He's your stereotypical nerd. He's completely and utterly... He's got pens in his pocket, and he's, he just goes about the place being a nerd. You've got a guy in the past, um, Hoagie, who's your rocker um, kind of... What's, what's the word for one of those people that... how about A roadie. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and he's got to go and speak to like George Washington to try and get his teeth and things I was like that. Say, you know, don't those... get the teeth. I, that's one no, thing I remember, man. <laughs> don't forget the teeth. Um, and in the future, you've got this absolutely mental lassie called Laverne, who's got one eye bigger than the other and is just completely off a rocker, but in a lovely, endearing way. And I think the characters and, and the way they were voiced. I, the first time I ever played the game as well, was off floppy disk. I had no voices. Um, I didn't have a CD drive. So this this game was the first LucasArts game that was released with voice acting on release. I've said release too many times there, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. Don't bother cutting this around and it's fine. Um, but I couldn't. I got, a, I got a DOS version on, on floppy disk and it was just, it was lovely. What else did it do? Um, oh, don't forget the graphics, man. Don't forget the graphics. Oh, the graphics. The graphics were beautiful. The backdrops were unbelievable. Very kind of cartoony, Looney Tunesy, um, sweeping landscapes with over over um, exaggerated tree features, and and everything was just everything was beautiful about it. You you're, you're going to play it. I, I'm going to make you play it. So it's no, fine. no. It's, after your description, I don't think we need to play it. So do you guys yeah. just want to bang <laughs> out the retro rewind now? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going through what's good about it. That's what this is all about. So um, it's the spiritual successor to Maniac Mansion, which was a, another point-and-click adventure where you could select from six characters and go through Dr. Fred's mansion, and it was it was great. That whole game is actually embedded inside of Day of the Tentacle, um, and inside a guy called Weird Ed. He's got a C64 in his bedroom, and you can play Maniac Mansion on his computer inside Day of the Tentacle, which is just... It's great. It's great. But, and I'm, this, I'm going to round it off here. Don't worry. I'm going to round <laughs> it off here. The best thing I think it, it had going for it was, because of the time aspect, it's, it's the best example of doing something completely and utterly over the top and ludicrous to further your own personal wee puzzle adventure story. So you've got like a slight problem and you affect the whole of time. So you have to um, rewrite the US Constitution to make sure that everyone has a vacuum cleaner in their basement. And George Washington uh, at the time is like, I don't remember writing this. What is a vacuum exactly? And, and then two, 400 years in the future, you've got a vacuum which you can then use to catch a hamster. That's, that's all you needed that vacuum George for. George Washington but you've, you've being so Scottish. Huh. I know, it's great. <laughs> I, can't re- I can't remember if it was Washington or Jefferson that wrote that. Anyway, um, and, and, and remaking the US flag, Dave. I know you take the flag seriously and all that. Oh, yes, yes, I do. In the future, it's overtaken with tentacles, and to get a, a um, costume for Laverne, Hoagie has to um, sneak plans in for a tentacle, so the US flag eventually gets shaped like a tentacle. And at the very end of the game, just as the credits roll in, it's a tentacle flag that's waving as the sun sets. And it's just, it's one of those moments where you're like, yes, yes, that's just, that's great. Thanks so for I the spoilers, to... Craig. You think that's well, probably <laughs> <laughs> there's no There's no spoilers there. I mean, the thing is, it's it's one of those games that I remember playing it and, and phoning people and not being able to really figure out what to do. And it's taking weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to do it. But in reality, it's it's about that kind of texting each other and going, yeah, oh, how do you do this? But I can't wait until we play this. I'm going to pretend we've <laughs> never done it. Man, I'll tell you what. I, I I don't know about everybody else. I wish I liked more games the same way Craig likes Day of the Tentacle. Jeez. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's my favourite game of all time. It's my favourite genre of all time. It's, it's just my favourite. So has anybody sorry, else played guys. it? No, it's fine. Wait till we get a Souls episode. I made a bad mistake of picking up uh, Sam and Max around about the same time as this. Oh, yeah. Whoa! And Sam and Max did not keep me interested for too long. I started playing Day of the Tentacle. I I thought I might have the same impression. But I'll get to rectify that soon because I I I know it's a great game. I just haven't put enough time into it. Mm-hmm. And I think I taught it at the time with some sort of so, some sort of like memory of lumbering them in together when I shouldn't have. I think it, it's easy enough soon. to do with that because it is they're all just verbi based connect two things together to solve a puzzle. It's all this it it, it can if if you picked up Sam and Max you certainly might be put off Day of the Tentacle or earlier um games. But yeah. You know. Craig, I got a question for you. We can cut this. 
you seem to gravitate towards very um, like uh, lighthearted adventure games. You ever play things like yeah. Loom or The Pit? No, 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 I haven't. The, the Pit might be LucasArts' best adventure game. Might be. Yeah. The astronaut one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were stuck on a planet. Yeah, I really liked The Pit and I hated the game. I loved the story. Hmm. Do you know... I'm gonna Google it. I will. I will Google it for you, and and I'll play it. In light of the current game that's been spoken about, uh, here's another question for you, gentlemen: Is there a genre you just don't get on with? Oh, jeez. Um, anything difficult? <laughs> <laughs> Myself, it, it is very much adventure games. If, if I do play them, I, I need to have a walkthrough there or I get so frustrated and bored. And that's something I do hope to rectify soon because I'm going to go through Day of the Tentacle without a walkthrough. But um, every time I've tried, everything from like Beneath the Steel Sky to Gabriel Knight to all of those, I just don't have the patience for that kind of adventure game lunacy, put it that way. I had a brief period back in the mid-90s where I, where I played uh, you know FIFA, NHL, Madden, uh PGA Tour 94, I'm, I'm not sure, but um, none of those sport games interest me, especially sort of like the EA ones. I, I slightly dip into like the Winning Eleven Pro Evo sort of games very occasionally. I might play a bit of Smash Court Tennis or, uh, you know, Everybody's Golf, Mario sort of sports games. But the, the full, full fat sort of sports experience is a, a genre that I just don't gel with and I don't think... I think there's a, a mixture of authenticity, which I really don't care for, along with the gameplay, which just doesn't doesn't seem to satisfy me personally. I am going to go with stealth-based games, which are solely stealth-based games. And, you know, the sort of ones where if you get caught, you've got to restart the level. That, that's just not my cup of tea at all. Uh, I kind of agree with you there. Recently. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I kind of have like a... Um, a litmus test for stealth games to where if it's not equally as fun to get caught as it is to stay hidden, I'm probably not going to get along with you. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah, I think I think those sort of games, the ones that let you kind of figure out a way after you've been caught are more enjoyable to me than the ones that make you restart the whole level because you've been caught. Yeah. It's kind of like how you played Deus Ex. You'd maybe sneak for about three seconds until someone saw your foot and then you would just shoot everyone in the level. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what what genre do you think a Spy vs. Spy and Bonanza Brothers were? They're, they're, they seemed a bit sort of... Okay, okay, well, Spy vs. Spy, I don't know, because that's not even like Bonanza Brothers. Because in that, you were hiding items and trying to find items. Whereas Bonanza Brothers... Bonanza Brothers has got to be very close to the beginning of the stealth genre. But I guess it would be action stealth, because you weren't trying to hide from everybody who was attacking at certain points. Man, props to you for Bonanza Brothers. Uh, yeah, Dave, yes, I've played the dig. So that's oh, one. Okay. I just I just read that you could play Asteroid Lander on your Wii communicator menu, and I was like, oh my god, I think I've spent more time playing <laughs> Asteroid Lander than actually playing the dig. <laughs> but, yeah, you guys... Uh, genres you guys don't get on with. Um, genres I don't I don't get on with um, anything. As I, I said, anything difficult as a joke, but genuinely anything difficult things, roguelikes, things that you die. I mean, I, 
I died a lot playing Hotline Miami, but I ended up loving it because of the music more than the actual game. But anything that's totally and utterly difficult, I just can't get on with. Things like your Souls games and Bloodborne and, and that kind of... Oh, it's, it's a bit difficult, but once you level up a bit, you can kind of get on get with out. it. Get I, out of my house. I don't... <laughs> I don't know. In saying that, Dave, I've never played one. I just get that gut feeling that that's not me. Also, um, Dirt Rally is the most difficult thing to make a car drive in a straight line <laughs> ever. <laughs> I've been trying for weeks to get a car around the track and I just, nah. And as soon as you crash into somebody, it resets your car. You don't even get to like crash into things. It just resets the car. So for you, it's got to be so, something very user-friendly. I think so. I think I my enjoyment comes from story and puzzle rather Who than um, really, really. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Hang on to a very, very quickly change my second choice for this show. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Luke wants to talk about Metal Gear. Solid, not Metal Gear, but solid Metal Gears. <laughs> solid Metal Gears. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, okay, so I was trying to figure out what sort of genres this would be today, and uh, Wikipedia says it's an action, adventure, slash stealth, and then I added on Toilet Perv to the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Metal Gear Solid was... So yeah, to, to give a bit of a perspective, I had a Mega Drive, um, I didn't have all the new games, and I wasn't, you, you know, my parents didn't buy me new games that came out, they were always second hand. So I got the PlayStation 1 when it launched, and this was my first experience of getting games as they came out, and one of the most defining ones for me was Metal Gear Solid. I didn't really know anything about it, I hadn't heard about the games previously, but I think like everyone else who picked that up for the first time, it just kind of blew them away. It was it was possibly the best game on the PlayStation 1. Um, <laughs> made by <laughs> made by Konami, uh, another Hideo Kojima game. Uh, possibly the best Metal Gear Solid game. But the amount of things they managed to cram into this game, and I mean, it's a great action-adventure game. You can play it how you want. You can be sneaky. You can... You can you can take everybody out without killing them. You know, you can sneak up behind them and choke them out. You can run past pretty much everyone. If you really want, you could gun them all down. It's it's totally up to you. But that game just kind of... It, it combines so many things again, such as, you know, it had such a great story. The game mechanics, I think, are, I think they still stand up. Graphically, it looked amazing. Um, the... The enemy opponents and how you had to fight them, those boss battles, I think they all kind of had something different. And, I mean, especially with the the Psycho Mantis guy where it broke the fourth wall and you'd have to plug in your controller into port 2 to beat him and stuff. It it just did so many things well. And I think it defined the PlayStation, what it could do. That You know, that was one of the first games I picked up. We were like, whoa. This this is just unbelievable how how they've made they've gone from the Mega Drive sort of style to the PlayStation. This was next generation. So um, yeah, Metal Gear Solid, what a game! I was going to try and do the noise, but I can't do it. Ramp, <laughs> <laughs> snake. Can anyone do better? Snake. No, I've always said that if there's 
a single game I could wipe my memory away and just play again purely as if though it was the first time again, it would be a... Dark Souls? Metal Gear Solid, definitely. Oh. Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid. Oh, Dark, Day of the Tentacles to come. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved Metal Gear Solid, Luke. I absolutely loved that. Um, stealthy action. I didn't play it until years and years and years and years after it first came out. Um, I just remember the minimap being a godsend and <laughs> running about in a cardboard box. Yeah. What's the box? I, I can't remember the story. Is the, the story of the first game, Does that, is it coherent at all or is it just as mental as everything else in that universe? It's I just mean, they're all crazy, but yeah, okay. I think it's probably the easiest to follow. Um, but yeah, it it was good going back to the Metal Gear Solid One base and Metal Gear Solid Four. Mm, mm. No, it's a it, it's it's a good it's a good story. I, I I mean I I don't know why people think it's absolutely mental. I thought it was the the twin snakes which added the mental stuff of jumping on top of rocket launchers and all sorts of stuff, Matrix yeah. effects, but. But originally, you know, if if you suspend your disbelief a little tiny bit, you can sort of you can you can get through it. And uh, I mean, uh, going down that going down that escalator or uh, that that you know elevator right at the very end of the game when you sort of get that phone call from um, from that lady you've been speaking to all the way through the game. That was like crazy, absolutely crazy. But you're like, whoa, whoa, how you know? It's it's one of those sort of Bioshock moments. You know where you get, you know, it's 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 the biggest spoiler for me in games. I reckon that that one little event in a Metal Gear Solid. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, remind Amazing. me, there was a a Kodak number you could get from the back of the box, wasn't there? Yeah. To yeah, I mean the way that game broke the fourth wall was just just I I haven't I can't think of many games that have done that since. Because it's bullshit. <laughs> There's only been a few other games that I can think of that have had the same sort of buzz around them when I was a kid on the PlayStation 1, and one of them is Final Fantasy VII. I mean, so much so that, you know, my friends who had older brothers, two of them imported it from America because it came out six months quicker over there than it did in the UK. I I never really got on with, with Metal Gear Solid games. I did I did complete a couple of them and one one is pretty good. I'll give you that. One is is a fine game. The story isn't yeah, it's not absolutely man controlling bees or walking through a river of ghosty dead people. Crazy. <laughs> but it, it it was realistic enough to where it, it really piqued me because that was at the point where you know you were you were that kind of teenager that was like, "No, see, this is as good as movies and books." kind of person. <laughs> And um, that that was that was a big solid hitter for me in that stupid <laughs> argument. Solid. Yeah. Ha, ha. However, there. it was not Tekken three, so I didn't play it very often. I'm sorry. If that's if that's how much you play games, if that's your benchmark, then quite a few games aren't Tekken three. That is true, and that's sad. That's really sad. Yeah. I'm I mean, gonna start a Kickstarter though to just rename everything Tekken three. <laughs> Speaking of PlayStation, um, my my second game here is uh, Rainbow Six. Not not the fancy new ones, just the first one, which was released in November 1999 by Red Storm, who went on to make a boatload of Rainbow Six games. Now, I, I guess I could have lumped this in with the other one, because it is a shooter, 
but it's almost a realistic shooter because two bullets and you're down. And 90% of the game is figuring out how to get into place. Uh, if you ever played SWAT, it's a lot like SWAT. You know, you're using cameras under the doors to see where everybody is. So when you breach, you go in, you just one, two bullets. That's it. You know, don't accidentally shoot the hostages. You very much had to use cover because you couldn't, you know, go nuts like a Doom or anything like that. The story was worthless, sort of. But... I, I would love to see more games take this realistic approach to things. Like, I would love to see a realistic shooter that isn't Rainbow Six. Just like a normal shooter, but you're down in two bullets. Or, you know, a, a realistic racing game, which Gran Turismo is pretty close. But I, I like that realism-infused genre. And the best one I can think of in the shooter genre is Rainbow Six. I, I'm with you there, Dave. I absolutely played the hell out of Rainbow Six. I thought it was fantastic. And it's funny as well, because I genuinely don't even remember there being a story. I just remember... <laughs> there were I terrorists, I just remember man. playing... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it's kind of... There's terrorists, there's hostages. I remember playing... playing it to death. And it is... It's that intricate, precise... what's happening where and who's going in where. And it's people strategy people management and and getting everything done the right way and if something doesn't work out and you go down you start from scratch it's almost like at the start of i imagine american football games where there's a guy in a whiteboard and he's like circles with lines going everywhere you go here and you <laughs> yeah. go here and then you go down here that's exactly that but with guns it's it can't go it can't fail i'm not getting paid for this but if you really like the original rainbow six Check out something called Frozen Synapse. It is Rainbow Six real-time, real-time turn-based from a top-down perspective. And it's really, really good. It's on PS4, it's on PC, it's on everything. Anyway, back to the conversation. Yeah, I, I've never actually played Rainbow Six. Um, this is the original game then, I'm yeah. presuming. Oh, Rainbow and One what? was, this is the sixth. <laughs> Rainbow One. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Is this? Um, I mean, so does this? Does this just play like a like a XCOM or something? I'm guessing. No, no, it's a first-person shooter. It's all real time. All oh, right. It's right. just in the beginning right. of the level, you choose like, all right, Mister German Man over here, who comes from Germany because mm -hmm. they're awesome. You go into this window and you take this room, and then Mrs. Massad lady from Israel come come in this door, breach this door, do that, and then you all kind of meet up. And that's when you go take down the hostages, but you have to choose where everybody goes and what the entrances are. But when you're playing yourself, it is it's straight up shooter, but just two bullets and you're down. Ah, uh, so is it anything like the old uh, like Sega Saturn um, Space Hulk, where you get the little picture in pictures of what everyone else is doing and things like that? Or later on, you would get like um, there would be an updating mini map kind of thing that would have the blueprint of the building. And you could see where everybody was looking and what room they were in. But, yeah, not quite like Space Hulk. You could real-time go in and manipulate where people and get people to hold, though, couldn't you? Yeah. And yeah, you could tell people, on hold that heel, breach yeah. this here. Sounds, yeah. sounds quite advanced. I think the, the closest I've ever played would probably be something like a... I'm not sure, maybe Hidden and Dangerous, possibly. Oh, it's, uh, it's a Dreamcast and PC, I think. I've played it a lot on the... 
Dreamcast. Oh, it was, yeah, you know, someone pops that. around a corner, two shots, and they're dead. And this person's been shot once in the leg. He's probably not going to live again. Uh, it was a bit of sort of like a, a life simulator on the battlefield, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I'll, I'll have to have a look into a Rainbow Six then. And, and of course, Rainbow Six Siege is just the multiplayer version of that, where instead of telling the Mossad guy to go into this window, it's, hey, Bill, you go into this window, I'll go into this window. It really is a lot of fun. Hmm. Look, go that way. Kev, Kev, what are you doing? Come back, Kev. No, no, Kev, Kev no. The wrong way. <laughs> I've uh, not really played these games. My brother was mad into them, but I don't know. It just never clicked with me. I do enjoy watching like the, the proper serious players, you know, the pro players playing in tournaments and stuff. Watching that stuff is insane. Those guys are so good at that game. Have you watched much of that? Uh, no. I, I, I tend not to watch, like, um, MLG first-person shooters. They tend to just bore me a little. I don't know why. I'm very much the yeah. strategy. Like, Starcraft. You should... You should aye, okay. I, you, should, you should check it out, though. It, it's cool seeing how much effort a team will put in to take out the other team and the tactics that are used. It's, it's uh... Oh, yeah, the coordination is, is amazing to watch. Hmm. All right, now to uh, shake it up a little bit, gentlemen. This kind of goes on with the uh, genres you don't get on with, and I probably should have asked you then, but uh, are there genres that intimidate you? Like, you know, you boot up a game and it's like, oh, oh boy, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And you just yeah. kind of get scared off and then you put yeah. it back. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Those those card battlers, the Hearthstones, the Magic the Gatherings, all those sort of games, they... They seem crazy. I don't know where the stats start and where they end. I'm not sure what's happening there. I don't know what, what actions carry over to turn number 16. Anything that's basically <laughs> chess. And I know chess is basically... Chess is the basis of pretty much every game out there, but... No, I didn't spend 500 battles. hours playing Gwent in The Witcher. No, I, <laughs> I, played, I played the mandatory Gwent game and then I left it at that. <laughs> I picked up the special cards. I thought maybe one day I'll go back in there. And I thought maybe this Witcher Free can stay on this shelf and collect dust until about the year twenty twenty five. But no, card battlers, uh in depth especially player versus player online ones. I, I hate the idea of that. And while we're on the subject, real time strategy, that's also a very shaky thing for me. The whole right, Twitch you are breaking my heart. Game. Uh, yeah, what, what, <laughs> figuring out a build order doesn't just fill you with joy. Yeah. I thought I was good at Red Alert 2 until <laughs> years, 10 years younger than me came over, had six bases set up, rushed me, absolutely destroyed my well, well-gardened base, which I, I think I just sent a guy out to, with a lawnmower around the edges for a while. <laughs> um not good. If I play against someone who's just as bad as me, it's a nice, long, six-hour, beautiful game where you chat about <laughs> anything in the world. But against very competitive players, it is an absolute nightmare, and it's very stress-inducing. So that's mm. that's a, a definite no-no for me as well. Yeah, I was speaking about Red Alert recently with someone, can't remember, might be one of you guys, might not, but there was an absolute pleasure about building the base and yeah. getting all your troops up, and it was the actual combat that was just rubbish. And it was like it was more like if you were playing against someone else and you could chat, it could be like a parallel Sim City 
where at the end you could just compare what you had built and see whose barracks were all neatly in rows and you know <laughs> yeah. if, if you had 400 tanyas in a battalion formation <laughs> see what me and my dad used to do is we'd spend like half an hour building up a base and then we'd take turns on trying to annihilate each other's base and then we'd have like 10 minutes to rebuild and build it so you know one of us would make like a death corridor with talsa coils and stuff. Oh and man, you guys are like those no rush twenty people on StarCraft. Don't do it comparatively. How That's, dare that you? That actually sounds good. If there was, if you had t- online, you've got ten minutes to build your base, and then it's all go. Oh no, no! The fun is is trying to just just smash that guy right in the crotch before he even knows it's coming. The game that I or the genre that I least like. Um, and I'm sorry, Craig, it's point-and-click adventures. Uh, the, and the reason is that I find most of them, like, you know, the solutions just seem to be... They seem to be so... Nonsensical? So difficult to find. They're not, They're not like... It's, it's not like a puzzle where it's a, a puzzle that you need to put logic into. A lot of it seems to be just complete trial and error. And I don't feel like I get any reward for it. I mean... It seems to be that you have to use a guide to them if you want to do it quickly, and I, I don't know if it's just that I don't have a lot of free time to play every game I want to, and whenever I've played a point-and-click adventure, I'm just like, I've spent half an hour trying to figure out what I need to do to stop this ooze coming out of this thing, and you know, do I need to use a balloon that some guy outside's maybe going to give me that I have to click through all these choice options? What the hell? Just doesn't, Are you you're attacking Grim Fandango? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's the one with the rubber chicken and the dead oh, man. Broken age, bad. Yeah, broken age is terrible. <laughs> oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm really sorry, Craig. It's maybe just a, a genre I've not no, given enough time to. I I completely. You know, we're all grown ups here. I completely and utterly understand. It takes it takes a certain thing. To, to like that kind of thing. I just like it. I think I like the fact that when you compi- combine two completely random things, I get a kind of slight, okay, oh, yeah, that's quite funny. You know, like it's pleasurable to me. I was going to say, do you like Leighton games where it's kind of an adventure game but with logic puzzles? Yes, I love the Leighton oh, games. okay. So that's a good example of a game because I feel like I get, you know, I'm rewarded for achieving a puzzle and it, it seems straightforward, you know, it's a bit of a mental test, perhaps. But afterwards, I can see how that worked. I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, that was a good puzzle to do. Rather than, I've combined a balloon and a chicken and something random's happened. Yeah. Um, myself... Of, speaking of Leighton... Sorry, can I no, right interject? I absolutely loved the Leighton games. Are there any other games like the Leighton games that I don't know about? Because Phoenix Wright is sort of... Like Leighton. Is that that's it's, the, the lawyer? It's, yeah, yeah. It's more, instead of logic puzzles, you're listening to people's testimony and trying to figure out where they're lying. or And then you have to go to crime scene investigation stuff. Actually, you know what? Play the Professor Leighton crosses Phoenix Wright game and see if you like the Phoenix Wright sections. Okay. Would Danganronpa, is that how you say it, Mike? Danganronpa. Um, yeah, would that maybe... I mean, that's a bit more closer to Phoenix, right? But, uh, yeah. Kind it's... of. There's, there's not a huge amount of sort of puzzle stuff to it, though. Mm. 999 did have a decent chunk of puzzles yeah. like that. It, it uh, Decent enough. Decent enough to sort of, like, justify it as being in that genre, I guess. Just about. Mm. Um, 
but I think they're quite thin on the ground. I mean, it's you know, it's, they're they're all the the prime thing for all those is really sort of the visual novel area. So it's like finding stuff that's a bit. But I mean, I think there was a there's a really early 3DS game, um, something like Doctor or Doctor. I can't remember the exact name, but it was like I think it was a possibly a Sega game or something. Um, that might be worth a look. I can't remember the exact name. That's sort of like a sort of investigation one. Now, of, do you uh, remember Hotel Dusk? From the sound of it. Yeah. Was that yeah. more puzzly? I can't remember. It was actually a little bit, if I remember right. Is it? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, Hotel Dusk and its sequel, I think, as well. Actually, and, and Craig, if, if you ever get a hankering for older style games that are sort of like that, uh, you ever play the Mac Venture games? Ever played like, uh, what? The Mac Venture ones, like um, there were ones that released on Mac to begin with, like Deja Vu, Uninvited, and Shadowgate. Oh gosh, no, no, nothing like that. Those are really good. It, it'll be new for you. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry, back, yeah, back crack on. Yeah. <laughs> Something that really intimidates me, and I love it at the same time. So it's a bit of a weird thing. Is fighting games. I will get into a fighting games like a Persona Four Ultimax and go, oh no. Oh, look at all the moves. Oh, no. I don't know how to cancel. I don't know how to do this. And it scares me away initially. That's that's why I think I've stayed pretty much with Street Fighter. And even though I love the fighting genre, just as soon as you open that command list and there's like 18 different moves that are very situational that if you want to be good, you should probably know, just intimidates the crap out of me. Hmm. You've just kind of reminded me of something, and this is maybe another podcast show, but... I am really put off by long introductions and tutorials. I think Assassin's Creed 3 broke me, but <laughs> starting a new game, like, you know, I've just started Final Fantasy and I'm probably, sorry, Final Fantasy 15, and I'm probably just past the part where it's going to stop hand-holding me. You know, starting that game, I you know, it, it's like I, I have to do it, it, I have to force myself to do it. To get to it, and I know, I know it's going to be. I'm going to get rewarded by midway to the end of the game. But the thought of starting some games, I'm just like, oh god, I can't be asked. I really, I'm really not interested in learning who this character is through long drawn out tutorials and starting things and character building. And I know it's a must, but I think it's just something the games industry need to work on a little bit. It seems like every game does it the same. So it's pretty much uh, JRPGs are your death knell. Yeah, I mean, even The Witcher, I, I didn't want to start it, but I forced myself through it, and after a couple hours, I'm okay, but yeah, I don't know. If and I see some games like some games like The Witcher or Batman or whatever, it doesn't matter from the word go. I'm I'm just interested, so I guess it, the yeah. tutorial doesn't really hit me. Craig, any that just, not so much that you hate, just intimidate you, and you realize, oh crap. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm not, I'm not put off by a lot. But I um I don't play sports games for pretty much the same reason that Mike said earlier. But I find particularly something like FIFA online really intimidating. Purely, yeah. I I can beat the you know the AI, and then you go online and you just get annihilated. And it's something that really it really throws me right off. It's just I know you've been playing FIFA recently. I don't know what what you find with that, but I'm just I'm hopeless. <sighs> Hey, I don't mind five, six losses in a row. It's good for building character. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to our last two games, just another question real quick. 
Are you tired of everything having RPG elements, or do you think RPGs kind of just the same? It's like MSG. You add it to anything, and it gets better. It ruined Tomb Raider. Oh. Thank you, Debbie Downer. I know. Sorry. <laughs> you think so? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think I like RPG and its whole... Um, what's what's I like depth to it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Like, we've been playing Di- Diablo, and I'm now thinking I need to make a spreadsheet to go and figure out all my stats and the damage <laughs> that my demon hunter's doing with a specific weapon. And I, I love that level of depth and detail. Whereas when I went to play Tomb Raider, I just wanted to run around and kind of do handstands and shoot people with two guns. I think I, I kind of... And it wasn't. I think it wasn't you're stuck enough. in the you're stuck in the nineties. Then I don't know if she even runs around with two guns anymore, does she? I don't know. I might be stuck. I'll, the, well, I'll, I did like the first the first one from a couple of years ago, but I didn't like the most recent one. It um, had the RPG stuff as well, though the first one. I yeah, I know, but I don't know what it was about this one. I just I just didn't. I wasn't digging it. It didn't feel like it added anything. I just recently played through it. It's kind of like Chick Chick Uncharted. For the most part, I mean, the story is different and all that, but the gameplay is pretty close. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything really that wrong with him when I was when I was, well, I was playing the first one anyway. But um, but my uh, my my additions probably going to be like I don't know. You got things like uh, I think Borderlands is enriched by the whole RPG thing. I don't I don't think you need that one to one sort of thing of you know if you headshot someone does that mean they're definitely dead? I don't think realism something. You you have to strive for in games, and then Not all of them, you know there's yeah. other games like like Dead Rising. Dead Rising's got its its little background leveling up thing over repetition of things, and there's some games where you know the RPG system can help tailor make a game towards how you play things. You know, like we've been playing a lot of uh, Titanfall recently, and it might be like you know you're doing you're doing a lot of wall running things like that. You're getting stat screens, all this sort of stuff that's you know. Um, like XCOM I've been playing, and if you play in certain styles, you might be going, well, let's build more towards what suits how I play. And in, in a way, it's like, it's locking off content, but at the same time sort of tailoring it towards what you generally like. There's only going to be a few mad people who decide to go, you know, making full builds of stuff that aren't going to match how they like games. I don't know. Well, I was going to say, I mean, Take a look at something like Call of Duty or Battlefield. Without those RPG elements, multiplayer wouldn't be half the fun it is. Mm. Without that leveling it up and unlocking new things, or, yeah, even Titanfall, I mean, they would get old really fast. I think I'm for RPGs, like, parts being in other genres, but I do feel that sometimes I'll play a game and I just want to play it, and you'll get maybe three trees for skills and stuff that you want to pick. <laughs> and what... Uh-huh. Will- there's some games you're just like this isn't needed i just want to play it and what's going to happen is i'm just going to put my points in the one tree that looks the best and then i'm never going to go back to it unless it it's game breaking the choices i've made and i have to sometimes it's a a bit intense to think oh god i've got to figure out all these skill trees i just want to hit things with a hammer you know it's (laughs) it's simple but yeah i think with mike generally I, if I can just take that point and swing it back to, to The Last Tomb Raider, I think you're already a bit of a badass. Why do you need to start levelling up stuff in the wilderness to survive? You know, you should just be able to do it. Hang on, what's happening in Tomb Raider? 
You said you need to survival in the wilderness. Not not in the wilderness, but wherever it was when I gave up with it. Kind of yeah. shite. <laughs> it's, it seems like just cut, game just cut that out, Mike. It's 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 fine. But I just I, I was disappointed by Tomb Raider. Yeah, and I'm better. You can see this being cut to the question, and we just cut in Craig saying Tomb Raider, and then we just cut the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Tomb Raider. <laughs> but other otherwise, I'm all for leveling up. I like working towards something, and. And I think it's it's worthwhile, but um, maybe it is. Maybe it's something we need. Maybe it's goals. It's those many goals and many achievements and many things that you need to do to level up that kind of drives you in a specific game. But then, as Luke says, and other times, you just want to punch people. Imagine Doom had a massive leveling up system behind it. Like it does in a way. Yeah, yeah. it does. And, and, uh, like a Wolfenstein, that did it great. So oh, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, well, I did like Wolfenstein's. I've argued myself out of a corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So Craig, then tell us what? about Heavy Rain. Tell us. Oh no, I changed. I was going to do Doctor Kawashima's brain training. Oh my no, god! I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Oh my god! Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain, um, Wikipedia, I'm going to quote the Wikipedia genre, says Heavy Rain is an interactive drama psychological thriller action adventure. <laughs> yep. Otherwise known so, as a quick time um, event adventure game. Exactly. Um, in, in terms of, of genre defining, I think this is the only game I can find with that genre, so I'm done. Uh, um, Beyond Two Souls. Until, it's not got. It's even on Wikipedia. It doesn't have the same oh, oh, genre. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm okay. being quite literal here in my my genre naming. Literal. Um, I know. Learning lots. Learning lots. So yeah. Um, Quantum Dream game made a couple of games before it. Omicron and Fahrenheit. A couple of games after it. One out. One coming out. So Beyond Two Souls and Detroit. Being human. Become human. Becoming human. I can't remember the name of it now, but whatever it is, it's coming out soon-ish. Um, it's an interactive drama psychological thriller action adventure. It's basically a quick time event, story-driven game with multiple endings, and what you do is you make a decision and live with it. As as unfortunate as that is, you know, you don't go off and Google it and and see what happens. You just live with you live with what happens. Um, I loved the. I loved. I loved it. I think it spawned a lot of games from that kind of story-driven side of things. So even through to like the Sherlock Holmes games, just now in the Telltale games, um, I think Quantum Dream did a fantastic job of it. Um, the look of it, very film noiry. Um, the weather in the game, it's just. It's heavy rain, so there's a lot of rain, which actually plays quite a key part of the story. I'm not going to spoil anything, just in case anyone's not played it. I know it's, it's quite a recent game, so um, I don't I don't want to don't want to do any spoilers there, or should I? No, no, I won't. I won't. It's only like six years old or something. Um, it's had a remaster, you, I believe. Yeah, it yeah, does have a remaster. I, there's a remaster that's out with. 
beyond two souls in a package as well so that's quite it's quite nice um i played this with my wife um so we joint made decisions as four characters there's four different scenes um interconnecting storylines and there's a killer out there it's the origami killer he leaves a wee origami figure and some flower on every child that it's quite dark every child that he kills um so you've got ethan dad whose son um is sean. dead sean yep sean uh, the game starts off at Sean's birthday party, and it's it's a very nice tutorial into the game. If I remember right, you get out of bed, and it teaches you how to like move and interact with the world, and you can hold down a button, and you can listen to your inner monologue. And I think that's a really nice touch, is yeah. just being able to kind of like get in with the character from the very start in a very simple, nice way. Um, it jumps from there to a shopping centre. And you've bought Sean a balloon, and Sean's gone missing. <laughs> uh, um, this is just reminding me of that that parody press X to Sean. Have <laughs> you heard it? <laughs> I'll send it. Have it's... you ever seen the, the glitch at the end of the game where he no. can stop screaming it? <laughs> you can start just screaming, Sean. Oh, that's, that's uh, disaster. Is that if he dies or if? I'm not sure, it was a glitch, and he just starts doing like improvised versions of it all over the place. <laughs> it's really well, worth a watch if you ever get a chance, just just look for it. Yeah, we'll put it up in the bio, guys. And we'll also have to put that as the outro, press X to Sean. <laughs> press X to Sean, right. Um, yep, so we've got Ethan, you've got um, Madison, a photojournalist, and she suffers from insomnia, so she's kind of like... Got night has nightmares. You've got Norman, who's an FBI agent who's going through some drug problems and he's 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 kind of suffering from withdrawal symptoms. And you've got Scott Shelby. I remember Shelby. It's Scott Shelby, um, who's a police officer, ex police officer, now private investigator, investigating the origami killers. So you play as all four of these characters and make decisions for each one, which eventually results in one of eight endings um as i say i'm not going to spoil anything but i just think um certain aspects of the game the um not sean getting lost that was just a horrible thing if you've got kids ethan no sean ethan's sean ethan's the oh my god oh my gosh there's two there's two kids isn't there yeah it's the brother that goes gets kidnapped it's uh, sean's brother yeah, Sean dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets doofed in by a car. Cut that. It's anyway. It's quite, it's quite traumatizing. Um, yeah, so I think the game for me defined that genre, which I'm not going to read out again, purely because the amount of variance in the story, the um, the quick time events weren't too difficult. My wife managed to actually make it through a few of them, um, and. The way it all ends in a big set piece is just wonderful. Um, I'm not going to say much more on it. It's been years since I've played it and I was just reading about it today thinking I'm going to play it again. It has spawned new games. I I think, personally, the quick time adventure story-driven thing, it's very, playing through Sherlock Holmes just now, it's very Sherlock Holmesy. It feels almost like I did the telltale borderlands last year and it's the same kind of thing it's decisions and quick time events yeah. and it just 
it just puts a wee bit of there's there's none of this trying to Google a solution or figure out what's happened. You've got to make a snap decision, and sometimes it's a really crap decision you have to make. But at the end of the day, it's it's just it's a wonderful thing to get through, and it's stressy, tense, good story, and it's the story that drives it. So it's that's that for me. Has everyone played that? Yeah, platinum down. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I, I haven't played in years. Yeah, I think Heavy Rain's a, a good choice. I mean, that was that was the first game that I played of that genre. Um, the I think you you know going into the tutorial bit at the start, I remember sitting down watching that, thinking, "Whoa, this is this looks amazing, like graphically, and you know what they'd achieved mechanically." Um, just from the get go, kind of blew me away. So. Yeah, um, I like the way that game kind of forced you to play it again because the decisions you made, as you said, were so stressful and so quick and forced by quick time events that, like, I remember making a horrible decision just out of you know gut reaction, and had I had an extra ten seconds, I probably would have gone the other method, and I continued with that play all the way through. I mean, like you, I was playing it with my wife. And we were both like, right, we've got to do this again. We've got to go back. We'll start again once we're finished and we'll do the other option because we're not having that. Let's see what happens. But yeah, and that's something that I haven't had that experience from many games. So yeah, heavy rain, great. Those loading screens as well. They were good. It's like the, the people's faces close up that looked like uh, real yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I remember it being a graphical powerhouse. Mm -hmm. Like at the time, that that was what you showed your friend if you wanted to show off your PS3. Mm. Did anyone else get the origami as well in the box? I did. Mm. I think I still have it. I think the the initial install screen prompts you to with instructions of how to build your origami. I think. Yeah. Oh, that's right. cool. Yes, yeah, like the install screen. Yeah. I don't think um, I got origami. I think I got the game off a of look, did I? Or did... Still there was some dodgy trick. deal. In... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, it's it's just in a cupboard. I'll just dig it out. I'll, I'll, I'll get it up to you. <laughs> hey, on the eBay cupboard, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting because uh, Heavy Rain, actually, for, for me, it seems like it comes from two other games which span so many genres it's crazy, which are... Uh, yeah, Mass Effect and um, uh, Shenmue. So it's quite quite odd to see see a game which uh, you know appears from games which cover so many genres yet sort of keeps its own in a way. Yeah, Mass Effect would have been a good one actually. Yeah. I mean Shenmue Shenmue can rot in hell, but Mass Effect is good stuff. All right, Mike, and to close us out, you're going to talk about as every podcast should be ended. With the Capcom game. Oh, beautiful. This has been <clears throat> rigged. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my final choice in the one which I think sort of bridges genres a little bit is a uh, Power Stone. This is a game I got a launch with the uh, the Dreamcast, and it's you know it's, it's crazy that it covers so many genres because it's mostly in its sequel really to be honest. But the first game itself, you know, had a uh, you know. Slight platforming, um, generally a beat em up. 
so so yeah it, it just covers so many genres it's a in itself i thought it was a brilliant game brilliant debut for a new system um vmu games being a, a shooter uh, a side scrolling well, a, a vertical scrolling shooter a kind of a point point shooter and also some sort of weird jackpot machine in there it was, it was crazy but it's a, it's a sequel which came um power stone 2 where it turned it also into a what I think would be a start of the, the party fighter game, which we've seen, you know, furthered in things like sort of, or taken to the next level with things like Smash Brothers. And yeah, I, I, don't, I really, really do enjoy the game. Playing it again recently on the, the PSP through the collection has been, been fun. Um, but yeah, it, it basically does everything. And uh, I still love it. There, there'll always be a soft spot for Power Stone. Uh, that was one of the few games I could actually convince my non-game playing brothers to play. Mm. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was proto Smash Brothers for us. It, you know, it was you know you run away from the guy that got the mushroom. And, well, yeah. not mushroom, but <laughs> gems in this case. And um, you have your impromptu alliances, and then your 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 heart crushing backstabs. It, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, I think I've talked about the, the gaming nights I used to have with my friends and this was one of the, the big games that we used to play. Um, it was just carnage and great fun and I'd love to go back and play it again. I, I mean, I, I really don't remember that much about it apart from it being hilarious. Um, such a good game to play. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd want a return of it, to be honest. It'd be, be nice. Have a nice PSN online enabled copy yeah that'd be great mm, definitely all right folks uh we may have kind of fizzled out there towards the end but you know we've been here a while so i guess the takeaway here would be if you haven't tried any of these games but you really like these genres definitely give them a shot or if you have games that you think are, are great mix-up of genres or they're they're absolutely the best of the genre in your opinion do let us know uh we have a facebook we have a twitter uh, you can email us at, you know, bitaffected gmail. But, uh, yeah, do let us know what your thoughts are. Also, if you don't like this style of podcast where we just kind of, you know, all get together and goof around and talk about games, uh, let us know. We'll have more kind of focused podcasts. So, all that's left is for me to say thank you to my good friends except for Luke. <laughs> Bye, Dave. Love Bye, you. Dave. <laughs> Press X to Jason. And as as the man used to say... See you next time. The rain has stopped. The sun came out. What a beautiful day to take my family out to the mall. Then we split up. My wife takes Sean to get some shoes for his feet. And that's really sweet. But I got Jason. I got Jason. Oh wait, no, where did he go? He was standing right here My wife's gonna kill me Jason, where did he go? You got me searching high and low My heart is racing Press X to Jason I'm walking around Then I see a clown And next to him is my little boy so I bought him a toy, he's selling balloons.
Jason wants a red one, so I shell out two single dollar bills. Then Jason runs for the hills, my wife just spotted me. Then I tell her our son is gone, then I'm on the hunt again. Press X to Jason. Jason! That's not my kid at all. Then I walk outside to see Jason crossing the street. How could he have walked that far? Then Jason is killed by a car. Jason. 